Warning, we're going to be discussing events for currently running weekly anime. If you want to avoid spoilers for certain shows, there are timestamps in the description. Welcome back to the Time Seek Anime Podcast. Go to our merch store and buy our Opie mouse pads today. We we have a merch store? We have Opie mouse pads? When yeah, it's of you. Yeah, why didn't you? Did, like, why? Yeah, specifically you. It's, why it's me? They're selling like, uh... Like, like, uh... Like week-old hotcakes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, it's, uh... It's week seven of winter 2019. We're officially over the hump. Yep. And we're on the ride back down to the end of the season. We recently did our mid-season review, speaking of that, um, where we just kind of talked about, like, our impressions of this season so far. And the quick summary of that, it's been a pretty good season! Yeah, pretty good, uh... We, we just saw the Crunchyroll Anime Awards uh, recently, and that was a experience. <laughs> experience, huh? How do you mean? Uh, it just... It, it, it was fun. I'll yeah. say that, but it was also kind of cringy. I agree. Yeah, that's a very fair assessment. Like, I I appreciate them for doing, for doing that and actually wanting to have fun with it, but yeah, I agree. It was pretty cringy at times. Like, I think, again... They're a fairly new award show, so they're still just trying to figure things out. Figure out what works, yeah. figure out what doesn't. So, obviously uh, some things are going to work out better than others. Yeah, like, um, Glass Reflection, mm-hmm. he looked like he was going to explode when yeah. they didn't put Machia in the category for his films. <laughs> I, which I've heard Machia is an amazing film. Yeah, so. that's what I've also heard. Uh, uh, well, I, I, I really liked that specifically, mm-hmm. because... I respect when somebody goes on a show and doesn't just, like, parrot an opinion. Yeah. Just because they're like, oh, I, I got hired, so I have to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I respect when somebody, you know, gets hired to do something and still voices their own opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, also, that fr- uh, that uh, Kotaro cosplay was pretty cool. <laughs> well, but to be fair, that actually is more akin to his actual outfit. Like, in his re- like he always kind of wears, a, like, a red vest like that anytime he does reviews anyway. Well, like, he specifically said... Yeah, that, that's what he was going for, like, on his Twitter. <laughs> that, yeah, I kind of figured it would be something like that. Either way, it's still pretty cool. Yeah, um, got to see uh, Jeff, Jeff Thune? Jeff Thu. Thu? Yeah, yeah no, Mother's Thune. Basement. Thune is a thing in uh, freaking Magic the Gathering, dude. Uh, anyway, but yeah, it, it was cool to see him up there, love his stuff. Yeah, uh, he, he was one of the major announcers for Anime of the Year, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. He's the anime it. pope, after all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a fun watch. Twitch chat was a mess, like it oh, always is. Yeah, it it's Twitch chat. Don't yeah. expect too much. <laughs> they uh like they went well out of their way to show you that this was sponsored by Devil May Cry Five. Oh uh, yeah, Devil May Cry Baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which should we mention? Like, if you guys haven't seen it, should we mention who the actual winner of Anime of the Year was? Yeah, it's everyone knows at this point. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere on the internet. Yeah, it's it's Devilman. Yeah, which, uh, that surprised me. Like, I'm I'm not entirely surprised. Like, Devilman was, had a huge following behind it, and it was definitely something that uh, carried on throughout the uh, entire year. Which, being a show from winter, that's pretty impressive and shows its staying power. Yeah, but... it, it, it was definitely like a silent vote, mm-hmm. because... Everywhere on the internet, everyone that was vocal was talking about uh, Place Further Than the Universe. Like, I want to vote for this. Like, this is going to win. I personally voted for Place Further Than the Universe. And it was just like, bam, Devil Man, out of nowhere. Yeah. I'm not disappointed with that choice. No, Because no. As, someone, as someone who watched all of Devil Man, it was an amazing series. Yeah, I still need I to adored it. it. 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, um, not talking about that for too long. Let's uh, let's move on to some news. Uh, yes, our news correspondent, everybody. Uh, first up, we got Don Machi's going to get a second season for the uninitiated. That is, is it wrong to try to pick up girls in the dungeon? <laughs> uh, the second season is slated to premiere this summer. There was like a... There was a spin-off series of it fairly recently. Yeah, yeah. it was like a spin-off about the the blonde chick. Yeah, the which, main the uh, main girl, the one who saved Belle, I believe his name was in the first place. Uh yeah. Okay. And yeah, I fell in love with her. I like, I've never seen Don Machi, so I have, good. I was, have no opinion of it. It's a really. it's a fun little like it's a generic isekai or not isekai, but it's it's a, it's a it's a video game world, I guess, where everyone has like stats and everything. It's pretty much an isekai, except it's video game. Yeah. Um, well, no, it's not isekai at all because there's no going to another world. Mm. It's just they're in a in a world that has like RPG rules. So it's in that sense, it's kind of like Log Horizon. Well, no, Log Horizon is an isekai. Mm. These guys started in this world mm. instead of traveling to it. Anyway. Then we got uh, the Rising of Shield Hero English dub finally started. Yeah, all six episodes are available <laughs> on Crunchyroll now. They figured out whatever kind of fucked up licensing issues they were having. Yeah, I was confused. I was confused about that, but at the same time, eh, all of it is if all of it is licensed and dubbed now, that's totally cool with me. Yeah, it, it is, and because uh, they announced that future episodes are going to debut simultaneously with Japan. Now that's actually pretty cool. Eat your heart out, Funimation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, anything else as far as uh, these goes? Yeah, Production IG is going to make a hand-drawn anime in 4K for Netflix in fall. Which, no details about the show yet, but they're like, yeah, we're going to make a really, really good-looking show. Okay. Uh, hand. L- let me see if I call all that right. Hand-drawn... 4K production IG. Did I get all the details? Mm-hmm. Huh. That's yeah. ambitious for sure. Yeah. Fucking hand-drawn 4K. That That's so much work. Yeah. If, if they're drawing it in full resolution. It, I imagine there will be some kind of upscaling. Probably. Just because that's, like, I, I, I don't know all the details. I'm not a science. Yeah. Now, I just want to say that, uh, that they did some, like, this is going to be for an entire series. For something that took, like, something that immediately comes to mind with every panel being hand-drawn was Redline. That took over seven years Well, hand-drawn anime and entirely hand-drawn is mm-hmm. two different things. Mm-hmm. I, I doubt they're going to do it entirely hand-drawn, because there's probably going to be a lot of, you know, digital effects and everything like that. Probably. Uh, but, but like, a Megalobox is a good example. It mm. was hand-drawn, but it wasn't entirely hand-drawn. Okay, I guess that's fair. Redline, yeah. that was... That that was an exception. That yeah. never happens anymore. And that was fucking gorgeous. Yeah, Redline. Like, for, if you guys have not seen Redline, you owe it to yourselves to see Redline because that yeah. film that film uh, didn't do as well like at theaters as it should have, and it definitely needs all the support that it gets now. Yeah, like, it's all, one of my favorite movies it's, ever. It's absolutely freaking gorgeous to watch, and it's just so much fun. It's like Gurren Lagann and Sp- and uh, not Space Dandy, although the voice actor for Space Dandy is in the dub there. Patrick Sates, yeah. um, in Speed Racer as the other show I was thinking of. Girl Lagan and Speed Racer. That's a, good, that's a, good, that's a yeah. good way to summarize it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just so just watch that if you haven't already. You That has our seal of approval. But yeah, uh, 4K anime this fall. Production AG. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's going to do it for... Well, do you have anything else for news? Um, no, not particularly. Like, okay. uh... You're the main. You're our main news correspondent. Here. All right. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to cut you off just in case. <laughs> no, I I understand and I appreciate it. 
But yeah, I I haven't heard of anything anything particularly news related. Just uh, Crunchyroll Anime Awards on the mind mm-hmm. still. All right. So uh, week seven, winter twenty nineteen. First off, starting with Boogie Pop and others. All right. I it's I absolutely. I know I've said this before. I'll continue saying it probably until the series ends. The <laughs> psycho the psychology in this show is freaking brilliant. Like it is so much fun to watch all the psychological stuff in this series. Yeah, the the beginning conversation with um, Suima and Jin. Oh God, was... that was that was so unsettling yeah, to watch. It... I just felt like I just felt like <laughs> like I got chills just like watching that conversation, especially watching like how quick Jin changed from being like yeah. intimidate like from being intimidating and just trying to play it off. It's almost like he knew what game he was playing. But he and he wanted to play it off, but at the same time, he did it because he knew that nobody would believe, like, just to sort of manufacture some form of doubt in her. Well, he he puts he puts the offer out there of like, well, I can fix all the problems you're having. And yeah. If she says yes, then he'll do it. Yeah. And if she says no, he just has the the charisma to instantly snap back to like a happy teacher yeah. man. I wanna I wanna point out that when. Uh, that when Suima was trying to get him to confess what he'd been doing, because she saw it, like yeah. she saw what he was doing, and obviously knew, had a him uh, had a leg up on him on that. But the problem was, like, as soon like she called him out on his art, like basically saying it was a very lonely painting. He actually like got up and started to get angry, but then he noticed her start to shake, and that's when he completely changed his tune. He's mm-hmm. like. I thought that was a really subtle, very clever detail. Gene is such a fascinating. Well, yeah, he, he doesn't want to force mm-hmm. anyone to do anything. Yeah, he. I think he considers his power convincing mm-hmm. instead of you know like mind control. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much is, in my opinion. Yeah, but the the highlight for me this episode was definitely the fight scene. Oh, the, yeah, the Sakuga. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, it was, it was so good. Had, I, went, I went back and watched that scene a few times actually. <laughs> Yeah, like because it's it's just so fluid, and it definitely shows like how um uh, like how skilled at martial arts he really is. Because we kept hearing, oh yeah, he's done martial arts before, but we'd never like seen it in action. Yeah, like we really. saw a little bit when he like uh, kicked uh, Spooky E in the face. Oh, no, he tried to kick him in the dick. Oh, did he? Yeah, okay. well, he, well, we kicked but, him, but but it didn't do anything. Yeah, but then uh, but here we actually got to see it on full display. Plus we. Got a little bit of insight into where he's why he's so good at martial arts. Probably Nagi taught him, I imagine, because we get a little bit of fight scene with her too. Yeah, well, either she taught him or they went to like the same dojo or something. Probably, like that. and I will say that something that was a touch disappointing, like uh, after all that really cool Sakuga and all those really cool action shots, there were a bunch of still images of Nagi kicking the shit out of them. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like okay, you already bothered to animate like so much of this fight scene anyway. Why not just? The re- like do the rest of them? Did they not have the time at that for that week or something? I don't really know. That was a little bit disappointing. For yeah, me. I mean they probably did like as much as they could. Yeah, in the in in the time they had, mm-hmm. and they were like, yeah, it was just uh, still images. Yeah, it, it just it just felt a little bit lazy, and I'm not entirely sure why they did it. Yeah. Um, also, kind of going back to that when uh, when I thought it was really cool how uh, Nagi realized that Kinokawa was a fake because. Because Kinokawa's first question was, "Who the hell are you?" and she and her basically is like, "Oh, so you're a fake." It's like because nobody at uh, Shinue Academy, <laughs> there's nobody at Shinue Academy doesn't know who I am, pretty much. Yeah. Because 
because Nagi has that much of a reputation, I thought that was just really clever that she realized it just like in a quick snippet of dialogue. Yeah, she's a pretty smart girl. Yeah, she is. And a pretty <clears throat> much a badass. I don't understand where she got the tactical vigilante outfit. I don't know. She's like Femme Batman, pretty much. Yeah, she has the, and she has a stun baton that she mm-hmm. uses. That's her weapon of choice, which I thought was pretty cool. And I then, think she, like, unmind-controlled those guys. Um, yeah, it seemed like it. Because, like, they were just following, unless, uh, the the fake, uh, Kinakawa? Kinakawa, I think, she, unless she paid him or something. I'm pretty sure like, she did. But it felt like they were listening to her, and then, like, after after they all got zapped and woke up, they were like, uh, oh, that girl, and they started getting, like, pissed off at I don't think they were getting pissed off at Kinakawa. I think they remember getting the shit kicked out of them by Nagi. Maybe, yeah. Uh, But then Jean shows up and proves, like, the big flaw in uh, Spooky E's powers. Like, because he basically talks to a Kinakawa and is able to reach her. Like, Yeah, because Spooky E has the ability to force stuff into people's head, but he can't really, like, actually change them. Yeah. Whereas Jin can fundamentally, like, mind control a person. And I think that is what makes Jean such an interesting... Like, I want it. Like, I almost call him a villain. I I will definitely call him an antagonist here, because he's... What makes him so fundamentally freaky is the fact that he knows full well that the only way to really change someone is to know what they want and how to give it to them. Like, he even says something to the effect of, you can't, for, you can't change a person unless you know what is missing in their hearts and how you're going to fill that void. Yeah. And I thought it was cool, like, how... He reveals his plan is basically just to take over the Toa organization using Spooky E as a cover. Because he even points out, it's like, this actually works out perfectly for me. But, uh, rip that plan. Yeah. Because once Spooky E finally got calmed down, I think he's just like... Uh, maybe he was trying to, like, unmind control himself. Mm, maybe. Because I think he was probably under control from the Toa organization. And he, then he... Then he Probably, like, tried to shock his own face mm-hmm. to mind control himself, but it didn't work, and he ended up killing himself. I think, no, I think that he legitimately wanted to kill himself. Like, I oh, think yeah. he, I think he'd wanted to die for a long time, but, uh, because his hatred was so strong, he just wasn't able to, mm-hmm. and because Gene had basically removed that problem from him, which we find out it's basically just removing their capacity for aggression, is the way that Gene actually describes it. Yeah. And, yeah... And then with that, he was able to just say, well, you know, I'm going to, I finally have the ability to do this. By the way, Boogie pops after you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I want to say, like, it's interesting how Gene's, like, whole, like, thing this episode was finding, like, a sacrifice for, like, for his plan, pretty much. Because, and it kind of ties back into uh, uh, Nagi's father, um, uh, Seichi, um, uh, Seichi Karima, I believe the, the name was. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, the opening quote is, no matter how much you dream, it's not the dreamer who will achieve it, but the next generation. And for them, it's not a dream, but established fact. I thought that was... but And then it goes into talking about sacrificing something for... And he realizes that perfect seed that he brought up with Suema before was uh, Orihata, it seems. Yep. Orihata is going to be that sacrifice. And that's that's where the episode cuts off with, with Jin leering over or, uh, Orihata. Orihata. Well, Orihata. actually, but Masaki was calling on her phone, and he, she's, he's basically, like, panicking, saying, Hello? Hello? Are you there? Yeah, I think he was... I think Jin was trying to get Orihata to, like, to like call for help, mm. gauging her reaction, maybe. Yeah, maybe he's going to... Maybe he's going to actually be the one to lure him... Uh, 
to lure Misaki there because basically saying, I've kidnapped this girl, like knowing that he's going to try and save her. Yeah, I well, yeah, that, I think Jin... I, I think Jin currently believes that Masaki's Boogie Pop. Yeah. And they... Because Spooky is like, hey, Boogie Pop's after you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe he's going to try and lure her. And yeah, he doesn't know... And he doesn't know that this Boogie Pop is a fake, is yeah. the funny thing about that. And... I think that's what's going to cause the rivalry between Nagi and Boogie Pop, actually. Oh, misunderstanding? Yeah, I think so, because, like, in the, cause in the opening sequence, we see, like, Boogie Pop, like, trying to fly away, like, on her, on the bungee, or on the uh, threads or whatever, and you see uh, Kirima basically, like, skating up the building, so, chasing her. In- interesting note about that. I'm not sure if it's them fighting or them working together, mm-hmm. because... I, I, I kind of think, it, to me, it kind of looks like there's a possibility that Boogie Pop is, like, flying away, yeah. but also holding the line. Yeah, maybe. So, so, so Kirima can can follow. Maybe. But yeah, you're probably right. They're, pro- they're probably going to end up fighting by the end. Yeah. They definitely seem like the two, like, strongest forces in the show. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. And I want to say that uh, it's interesting that Suema was talking with Toka again. But then Boogie Pop just out of nowhere just decides yeah. to like, pop up and then immediately go back to Toka like that didn't just happen. Yeah. Again, At this point, I feel like Toka is probably almost aware of it. Maybe. Like, because, she, allowed, she allows herself to be willingly taken over by that persona. Or she's aware when it happens, at least, because she just continued the conversation. Yeah. Almost aware of what Boogie Pop just said. Yeah, exactly. Just like, eh, whatever. Like, again... I'm I'm fascinated to see where this goes because we've been dealing with this particular arc for like what five almost six episodes now five episodes yeah yeah and it's gonna be really cool to see how this all wraps up like is the Imaginator like what is all who's all going to die like I'm thinking Masaki is gonna die next episode Orihata might die next episode I don't know it's suspenseful and I enjoy watching the show every week next up we have. Dororo. Oof. Oof. Shut up! (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, I can... Like, that song is never the same after this. Yeah, it's it's such a sad ending to an episode. Yeah, it's... I like... For one thing, yeah, let's just talk about the ending real quick, because that was easily, like, the most point... One of the most poignant moments of this week. Like, just, uh... Like, the ending ending? Like, the final scene? Yeah, the final scene. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, the music they used there was perfect. It was, it was, it was just... And other than that, it was, like, silence, mostly. Mm -hmm. It was, like, just her singing the song, the wind blowing, and it was just, like, them walking through this, uh, this golden rice paddy that she had talked about so much. And... That's visual storytelling at its, like, finest point, in my opinion. Exactly. It's just, like... That image is, like, burned into my head forever. Just, like, now I'm sad. Yeah. Like, that song, it just makes... Like, she says that she sings it every time that she felt sad, but then you'd point it out, it's like, but you sing all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I only smoke when I'm unhappy, but you smoke all the time. Exactly. (laughs) But, and it's interesting, because now every time I hear that song, I'm going to be... Or think about that song, I'm going to be sad. Because this was, like, the first, like, two-part arc, really. This, like, every other episode has been sort of, like, a Monster of the Week type deal. Which has been fine. It's been, it's been, it's been handy for telling the story. But this was, like, the first one with, like, major stakes and, like, 
actually getting attached to characters and watching them die horribly. Yeah, the monster wasn't really the focus in this arc. It was there to take away Yakimaru's leg. leg. Which he grew back right yeah, away. Yeah, also, after. fuck you, I was right last week. Yeah. <laughs> that they didn't kill the monster. Okay, yeah. I, I thought he stabbed it in the neck, and I thought that's why he got his voice back, but... I guess I was wrong. Nah, it, it's he probably had it all along. He just didn't know how to use it. <laughs> Maybe that it's that is possible, but because that was the first major pain mm-hmm. that he felt in his entire life. I guess that's true. Like I guess I never really considered it, but uh, so we got a little more uh, information on like Dorodo and how how he feels because he tried talking to uh, Take, I believe his name is, about, yeah. about Mio's work, and then you know Take didn't really seemed to understand anything so but Dorodo didn't like he had a moment where he kind of wanted to talk about it but he didn't really want to bring that up to the other kids because he didn't know how they'd handle it so he just kind of kept it to himself yeah and then he talked to Mio about it which was actually a pretty nice scene like and like we find out a little bit more about Dorodo like in his past like how he's like I travel with my mama all the time and that was one job that she refused to do no matter how hungry we got but that's exactly what killed her, is what she said. I mean, what he said. So it makes me wonder, did she starve to death, or was she raped to death? I don't I pr- She was know. raped to death, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. Like, because like, I... It's probably his dad was killed by samurai, mm-hmm. and then his mom was raped and to death. Killed. And killed. Yeah. But he got away. Yeah, I, I imagine so. Like, they don't, like... I think, And that's always the thing I like about this. They don't explicitly tell you exactly what's happened so far but they give you like just enough information to where they're mm-hmm. where you're able to piece it together and there was a lot of like really cool like little foreshadowing elements here like uh early on early on you see like a, a camp of samurai saying uh it's like keep keep an eye out for spies because the sakai clan is basically is probably going to be making their move and so and then later when you see uh you see mio getting ready to go to work you see, like, a soldier just hiding in the bushes. And then when she's going home, you see, like, an entire army following her. Just And I was like, I didn't notice it the first time I watched it, but watching it through a second time, I was like, oh, shit, that becomes important. Yep. Like, and everybody at the temple dies. Yeah, I didn't expect Mio to die. I expected all the kids to die, but I didn't expect Mio to die because she's so prominent in the opening. Yeah, like, she's in the opening for quite a while. Yeah, but, I mean, I... It makes sense because she, I, I think her existing mm-hmm. uh, and kind of interacting with Hyakimaru was pretty important to him. Yeah. So she, uh, I don't know if she should have been in the opening that much mm. for just being around in two episodes, but I mean, same thing with Price of Smiles. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Yashua's in the opening a bit. Yeah, exactly. So we even get to see, like, Really, one of the best-looking fight scenes... Another contender for good-looking fight scene this week when Hiyakimaru just goes fucking berserk. Yeah, starts cutting cutting up dudes. Yeah, just cutting up... Like, the animation there was so fluid, like, just, like, how he was cutting people, the running, everything just looked cool. Yeah, I like the animation style of... You you slow down the the fighting in between slashes mm-hmm. but when it when you actually do the slashes it like speeds up really fast yeah so you can kind of see someone get the from point a to point b and then it's just blood it goes everywhere it, it looks really cool when when it's done well yeah and uh, when it's not done well it just looks kind of like it looks sloppy yeah like free like 
freeze frame. Yeah, here it, it here it was really well done though. Yeah, you have to do like the right in between frames to make it look really well. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, done really well. Uh, we got a little more information on uh, Tohomaru, uh Yeah, little brother. Yep. Which I feeling is is probably going to become a, a more prominent character in the next few episodes. Yeah, it makes me wonder if those two are going to fight later or if they're going to have to. Uh, pro- I imagine they're going to fight later because it seems like Tahomaru's like motivation is he wants to be noticed by his mother. Yeah. Like and be every time like and I thought that was pretty cool like how in that flashback I know you hate flashbacks but here I think it was pretty ha- like handled pretty well when he was just climbing up a tree and he looked through and he saw like his mom just praying to the headless Buddha statue which represents Hyakimaru like what happened that day. Yeah. And so his like just like the like it was I don't think it was compl- like ridiculously ham-fisted saying this is a person's story. Feels sad, but I'm fascinated by Tahamaru. Like it's going to yeah, be interesting. The conflict between him and Hiyakimaru is going to be, at least what I think, it's going to be that uh, he Hiyakimaru is pretty much the obstacle to Tahamaru getting his family's affection because mm-hmm. he's like the one thing that his mother is still, uh, you know, stuck on. Mm-hmm. He he's essentially taking their home away. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, which he doesn't know that yet, obviously, but I'm sure he'll figure it out. Yeah, like, it seems like every for every bit that uh, Hiyakimaru takes back, he takes away something else. Yeah, because he's taken away, like, the blessings from the demon yeah. or whatever. Which, by the way, I thought that was really cool. Like, the whole episode they were focusing on rain. It's like, oh, we're blessed with good rains every year and stuff like that. And then it finally starts to rain. But then he kills the demon, and it stops raining, like, immediately. Does it? I don't remember yeah. that part. <laughs> yeah, like, you see, like, ev- like everybody's, like, all, like, rain starts to finally show up, and everybody's, like, getting ready to gather all the rainwater, and then, like, Hyakimaru finally kills the demon, in a pretty clever way, by hiding a blade in his missing leg, like, the, in the oh, wooden yeah. peg. I thought that was just super his pig cool. leg. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then, yeah... The rain, like, stopped, like, immediately. It's just like, I can't believe we got so worked up just for that. <clears throat> I thought that was a pretty cool little detail. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, like we already talked about, that ending. Yeah. That ending. So, next up is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Golden Wind. White album is overpowered as shit. Like, I guess the only thing that you can really say about this episode is that... Every time they think that they figured out the answer, it's just like, just kidding. I have a new, I have another puzzle for you. Yeah. Like, it's just like that kid, like whenever you played pretend on the playground, it's like, I'm going to cut you with my sword. Aha, but I'm immune to sword (laughs) slashes. Uh, I have the uh, plus one sword armor. (laughs) It's like, it's like, you can't hurt. It's like that kid who's just constantly changing the freaking rules, giving himself more power. Fuck you, Todd. Yeah. Fuck you, Todd. Who's Todd? Uh, I don't know, probably the name of some asshole. <laughs> anyway. So, the the new ability that uh, Gyachio yeah, uses Gyakyo, yeah. uh, is called Gently Weeps, which is a reference to a It's a Beatles, a Beatles song, song uh, yeah. As My Guitar Gently Weeps. That's, yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's George Harrison. And hell, it's I'm actually pretty sure it's on the White Album. So... I mean, which is, again, fitting, because White Album, or White Ice, if you're just reading the subtitles, is, yeah, that's exactly what it's referencing. Again, because fuck copyright. Yeah. So, so there was a very ridiculous scene in the episode where uh, 
Mista is like, oh, just make more grass. Yeah, make more tundra grass. I need more grass. And he fucking makes a snowboard out of it. A perfectly shaped snowboard. Okay, how the fuck did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like... Uh, It was... But it was awesome, though. Yeah. Like, like in the moment, I was just like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, he's riding a snowboard. I was like, what? I mean, even then, I'm like, okay, that was so stupid, but it was awesome, so I'm willing to give it a pass. Which, by the way, I want to talk about, like, Immediately, Giorno's plan backfired because he's like, because he's going to drive into the canal. This is something we called last week. It's like, that's going to be a terrible idea. Yeah, he like, he drives into the canal and he's just like, this is a good idea. And immediately after that, he's like, this was maybe not a good idea. He's like, this was a mistake! (laughs) (laughs) Like, seriously, it's like, it's like, oh, it'll take a while for him to freeze all this water. Oh, shit, he's freezing the water. Just like. We would have thought, right? Yeah. I, I was thinking that he should have just, like, flipped the car on the freeway. Yeah. And then that maybe would have gave them some breathing room. But, yeah, they managed to do something pretty cool, like, when uh, Giorno is able to, like, release his standability. And then Mista, like, is able to, like, basically shoot a screw into Giacchio's forehead. Mm-hmm. Or, but it doesn't go quite deep enough. Which, again, I think these two actually make a really good team. Like, because Giorno being able to use, like kind of quick thinking and stuff like that, and Mista's really good reflexes and pinpoint accuracy. Mista actually said a really interesting line this episode where he said that it it feels like Giorno is his capo. More more so so than than Gucciarati. Gucciarati, Yeah. Yeah. And that's really big. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To say that. Yeah, because yeah, even though because even though Giorno is still a newbie, everything still plans like everything still works out the way he says it's going to mm-hmm. is ultimately what uh, what Mista realizes, which I thought was super cool. And I want to say like this fight though is still pretty ridiculous. It, it's JoJo, so of course the fight's going to be ridiculous because mm-hmm. <laughs> because. They were whole like the first part of the fight was oh we gotta search for that br- we gotta search for a breathing hole and like he tries to get like uh he tries to get Giacchio out of the water and then manages to like get like when he dives under somehow is able to get up above the water it's like okay we didn't see him do that why did he suddenly go above the water did he shoot himself in the ass to make him like jump out of the water really quickly. Oh, you're talking about Mista? Yeah, Mista. He probably just swam up off stream. Yeah, probably. I mean, I know, but my way is funnier. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was actually pretty clever when he got um, uh, Giacchio to look down because he shot fish for no discernible reason. But yeah. the reason was to get him to look down. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty clever. Yeah. But still, that didn't work. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of worked. The plan worked. They just didn't expect him to have another ability. Yeah, they just... They just that was the whole thing. Once again, Giacchio just keeps adding shit to his, like, stand. Yeah, his, uh... So the, the end part was... Ugh, it's hard to watch when yeah. he's slowly getting that spike yeah. pushed into his neck. Yeah, imag- yeah just imagine that feeling. Ah. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like getting a spinal tap, except yeah. a rusty hook, I imagine. Uh, Mista showing, like, so much... Resolve, as Giorno put it. Yeah. Just shooting himself over and over and over and over again, pretty much. Yeah, and then Gior- and Giorno showing Resolve first, actually, by, like, oh, yeah. smacking his oh, arm against God, ice. gross. And just... <laughs> and then the blood... That's, that's not how blood works! Yeah, he just, I'm like, just... smacks his arm on the ice and it's just like... 
<laughs> blood shooting out everywhere. The only way that's happen the only way that's happening is if he broke an art like if an artery got cut because even then it doesn't shoot out at fucking fountain speeds. Yeah, it'll, it'll just spurt out slowly. No, that's if no, that's veins. Veins. Well, no, if you if you cut open an artery, it's not gonna fucking squirt out like you're squeezing down a garden hose. Mm-hmm. It's still gonna spurt out. It's like it'll come out faster. Yeah, but it won't just go like. Oh, the sprinklers on. Go out, kids. It's fun, fun summer day. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and I love how Mista's whole plan was just to get shot enough so blood would shoot on Gyakio's yeah. face. And it's then, like, like Kung Pao, like, my, I'm bleeding. Fist to my face style. How do you like it? <laughs> I'm bleeding, making me the victor. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's immediately what I thought about. Yeah, exactly. It, which, that's pretty apt. I think it was also hilarious when, uh, like, Giorno is getting ready to basically heal up Misto. Unlike, uh, unlike Josuke, who has the ability to undo all damage and make them not feel any pain, uh, Giorno is able to heal people. But that's only in a sense because he's just replacing parts that were damaged, so they still feel a shitload of pain. Yeah, I. So I guess he can just do it permanently. That's, uh-huh. what, that's what it seems like his standability is. He can yeah. he can turn things into life permanently, which is fascinating. Like it's it's bizarre as all shit, but it's still fascinating. And it's just like, don't worry, we have like eighteen more bullet holes, so try yeah. to stay still. <laughs> And then, of course, it has to end with homoerotica because JoJo. <laughs> like it's like Ab- it's like Abdal and Joseph all over again. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Next up. Next up is, uh, is Kagusama. We finally meet Ichigami. I fucking knew it. I knew it was going to happen. We meet finally meet Ichigami. Yeah, I I kind of thought he was just going to be a joke and never was going to show up. Actually, but yeah, here he actually shows up, and I'm glad he did because. Like, some of the skits he's been in so far have been completely hilarious. For one thing, I love how he is, like, he wants to quit the student council because, like, that's his thing. It's like, oh, he's completely indispensable to the student council, but he wants to quit. And the reason is he thinks he's going to get killed by Kaguya. The problem is he also can't leave because he thinks is going to kill him if he dies. Yeah, I, I totally understand his, his viewpoint because <laughs> the looks... That she gives him yeah. are very, very murderous looking. If you ever tell someone about her secret, the next time this won't be a toy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how just uh, how just by looking at her, he says, like, I have a 5 or 6%. I can tell, like, at least 5 or 6% of a person's character by looking at them. And his was, he was able to basically give, it's like, I'm pretty sure she's killed at least two or three people already. <laughs> So, so my headcanon is that he has just been under the desk yeah. these entire episodes. Probably. Like, it wouldn't surprise me, because, like, we've actually saw in the later skit Chica pulling him out from under the yeah. desk. So. <laughs> He's just been sitting there the whole time, not important enough to be part of the conversations. Like, or... I think he's actively choosing not to be part of the conversations because he's definitely a pretty introverted character, it seems like, not really wanting to get involved with things unless he absolutely needs to. Either that or he's just been, like they said, he usually takes his work home, so he he just usually doesn't show up. Unless, yeah, unless it's for, like, student council meetings. And uh, the next skit was hilarious because it was Chica basically trying to do, like, these, uh, like, these love detective mind games, pretty much, trying to basically... Like, answer this question in a specific way, and it's always related to some romantic bullshit. Which, of course, Kaguya prepares for, um, like, in advance. Like, but, Chica, 
showing that she probably knew that Kaguya was doing this. Because mm. she's like, oh, I'm going to go look on the internet for mm. another one because I want to play. <laughs> that, was, that was, like, at this point, I'm almost positive that she's doing stuff like that on purpose. Yeah, like, there because she even knew that, uh, like, cause she just the grin that, the grin that she was giving uh, uh, Miyuki was, like, pretty much a giveaway for, like, what made him realize, wait, this isn't some innocent game that she's playing yeah, here. That was probably also on purpose. Yeah. To make him think that way. Who yeah. knows, maybe we're all just giving Chica too much credit and she's just like an idiot savant. I don't know. I think, again, like I've said, I think she's pretty damn perceptive when she wants to be. But I think at the same time, yeah, she could, we could be just giving her too much credit. Again, she is a fucking wild yeah. card. Which that's, that's brilliant way for, that's brilliant writing. Like, yeah. Making people think that she could be this smart, even if she's not. And, yeah. and either way, it still feels like good writing. Like, even if she ended up being an idiot savant in the end, I'd still think it was funny. Just yeah. because I was thinking that way. Yeah, I remember uh, <laughs> I remember one of the other funny bits. It's like, when she asked Ishigami, it's like, somebody taps you on the shoulder in a dark in a dark uh, corridor. Who do you see? Like, who is that person? And his mind immediately goes to like some like the opening cutscene <laughs> from Resident Evil, pretty much. Yeah, and it's Kaguya trying to kill him. And then his excuse—it seems like this is going to be a running joke too. He always finds an excuse to leave home early. It's like I'm going to go home. I think I have Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> like that's awfully specific. I thought that uh, I have really enjoyed Ishigami as a character so far, though. Like, because even later, like, he was trying to give Chika a compliment about, like, oh, your hair smells nice because you have new conditioner. Just, again, the way he delivered it was completely creepy. Though. Yeah. You smell like, your hair smells like a newborn baby. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, like, he didn't say it, like, in that tone. But, uh, yeah. But I, I'm pretty sure that he has a crush on Chika. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's got a crush on Chika, and I'm pretty sure, like, and I think it's hilarious that Kaguya is convinced that he's got a crush on her. Yeah. Even though she says, like, he's little more than a worm compared to me. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I only see you as a worm. Yeah, just, it's like, well, I guess he's a nice boy, and he's not necessarily bad looking, but eh, I only see him as a worm. Kaguya <laughs> um, has eyes for only one man. Yeah, and that man is, uh, and that man is Miyuki Shiragane. Which, she's gone really out of her way to try to get him to notice her. When her maid, once again, tries to convince her to, like, go along with her little schemes, like, and doll up her nails. Yeah, I love that her her maid's uh, motivation behind everything was just to give her some glam, mm-hmm. as they put it. Yeah, exactly. Like, not not that to get boys to notice her, she just wanted to do Kaguya's nails. Exactly. <laughs> It, it, I think that's hilarious. The maid, the maid is easily like the cast in this show is just an absolute treat to watch. The maid is no exception because like she's like all prim and proper at home, but then when she's uh, when she's at school, her entire thing is like, oh, she's this popular fashion girl, pretty mm-hmm. much, and she's like, she's just pushing the boundaries of the school of the school's like dress code and stuff, and that's all intentional. And I think that's really hilarious, and. It ended on a, like, that whole bit ended on a sweet note when you actually see, like, Miyuki, like, uh, start to realize it's, like, that Kagi was just legitimately upset that he didn't know, that he didn't, like, say anything about her nails. And at the end, he just wanted to say that they looked nice. Yeah, the show sprinkles in little bits of, like, good feelings. Yeah, exactly. And I I think that was just legitimately just a sweet moment because Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's, like, I mean, I noticed them, but... 
and that just made it sad that I didn't actually say anything. And that was nice. Yeah, like, it's, he was it's able like, to put away his pride a little bit for that. Even if he couldn't finish saying it. It's like back when he was doing uh, like the charity work, and, mm-hmm. and Kagi noticed that, and she she got all happy inside because mm-hmm. she likes him. Exactly. It's this series is absolutely wonderful. So next up, uh, next up is the magnificent Kotobuki. <laughs> got introduced to the the best comedy flying duo. I know, right? That's <laughs> that's how these two played off. You definitely had yeah. like the the fool and the straight man, like to a T, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, Esau and Esau and his butler were yeah. pretty hilarious. Yeah, just like they were they were absolute comic gold to watch. And then the banter between the girls was was really pleasant to watch as usual. I love how much Chica and uh, Kilie act like children. Yeah, they're pretty much like siblings. Yeah, because. She, like, because Chica was, like, all, like, bad-mouthing this new doll that, uh, or, no, Kilie was bad-mouthing this doll that Chica got, and then she's like, do-do-do-do-do, bang, and hits her in the back of the head with it, and then they almost run into the street, like, or they do run into the street and almost get run over, like, morons, and they even, like, even Isao and uh, his butler bring it up later, it's like, what did I used to do? It's like, you used to drive, and you almost ran over two stupid girls. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we got we got to see a little bit more um, Riona from Riona yeah. in this episode because like usually she's she's like oh we gotta stay calm stay in perfect yeah. formation and uh, she just fucking goes buck wild and starts shooting down planes and, yeah it actually causes Kate to get shot down almost like her plane does get shot but she just has to retreat yeah which we find out that yeah that she was known as the tenacious Riona pretty much and. Uh, it was because of her recklessness in the past that actually caused her to... I'm pretty sure that's what made her uh, like so like diligent from this point forward. It's fascinating. Yeah, because uh, she's saying how she got rescued by... Uh, Isao. Isao the, know, uh, the, the magician in the sky. Yeah, something like that. I don't remember his exact name. But uh, the Soaring Magician. That's okay. what it is. The Soaring Magician. I also want to say that Councilwoman Julia... Proves to be what an air continues to prove what an arrogant bitch she is. Oh, you're like we're talking about the planes gonna crash into the building. Okay, that yeah, that part was just hilarious. She's just sitting there drinking her tea, <laughs> just like mm, nothing bothers me. But no, just like the way that she kind of bad mouthsy sounds stuff like uh, that. Yeah. Like she's just a complete bitch. I mean, I'm sure she's gotten to her position for a good reason. Yeah, being no, a, being I agree. A shrewd businesswoman. Yeah, no, I agree. But at the same time, I still don't like her as a person. Yeah. I think she's a terrible person. Uh, I don't know, a terrible person, so much as just asshole. Yeah. Because, like, you could be an asshole and still be a good person. I guess, yeah. I I guess that's true, but, uh, I want, like, you've said, like, already in, like, the past how, like, some of the expressions in this show, like, are, like, on 3D models is some of the best you've ever seen. Yeah. Like, I agree with that, like... And, like, the movements and stuff are, like, because they were actually really going all out, like, getting, like, getting these characters to, like their body movements to be expressive and stuff, too. And it didn't look, like, jarring or awkward or anything. It was pretty damn fluid, actually. Like, I thought this was a good episode to show, like, oh, by the way, we can an- we don't just have good facial animation. We can actually re- do the rest of body animation pretty well, too. The the final uh, dogfight is pretty kick-ass when Esau finally gets in the plane. And yeah. This has this smug look on his face as he's doing these, like, kick-ass maneuvers. The, uh, I don't know what it's called. But the the maneuver where he he just like flew up, turned off his engines, and like dropped down below the bomber. Yeah, that was really cool looking. Yeah, 
I also want to point out that it's uh, something more about Rayona. Like, she, it seems like she is deathly terrified of birds for some odd reason. I mean, I'd be terrified if a fucking dodo flew out of the sky and landed next to me. I mean, but even after she realized what it was Captain Dodo, you see her just kind of hiding behind Zara, just like grabbing onto her sleeve, like just kind of shaking there. So I think she's just afraid of birds, which is hilarious because she flies a big ass plane. That would be interesting. (laughs) Yeah, like, why is she afraid of birds? What did a bird do to her? Maybe she has a traumatic experience with birds. Yeah, did birds just come in and peck her parents to death or something? Or stole her sandwich when she was a child. My sandwich. <laughs> Not a whole lot really happened this episode. It, may, it mainly just felt like a, a way to introduce uh, Isao, kind of introduce a little bit more about Rayona. That's what it seems like this series mainly is, just introducing more and more about each of the Kotobuki Flight Corps. There isn't really so much of a connecting narrative yet, as far as I can tell. Uh, it's like the, the pirates, I guess. Yeah, I mean, but for the most part, it's just the girls just kind of... Uh, it's just kind of introducing us to the squad mates of the Kotobuki. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's kind of like Slice of Life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with dogfighting. Mm-hmm. It, it's like the Slice of Life elements serve to connect you to the next dogfighting scene. Yeah. Which, it works well. It's like a club anime, except that club happens to just be like a bunch of plane fights. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the it's sort of like a... The, the dogfighting club. It's sort of like Girls in Panzer, except not shitty. <laughs> Is I don't know. I've never seen it. I've actually never. Se- I've never seen Girls and Panzer either. I just know that the whole concept behind it is weird as shit. It's a girls drive. It's a, a high school or girls driving tanks. Yeah, I, I've I've heard that bit about it, and that's it. But yeah, I have never seen uh, Girls and Panzer. But uh, anybody who's watched Girls and Panzer, tell us how it is in the comments. <laughs> so next up, Mob Psycho One Hundred Two. This episode. I, I don't know how to feel about it, because Reagan seemed to be an asshole, like, out of nowhere. Because mm. this whole this this whole series, Reagan's always been, like, supportive of Mob. Mm. Uh, maybe maybe it's because he, he's getting jealous that Mob is having other friends now. But he, like, straight up says, like, no, those aren't your real friends. You don't have any real friends, I, except for me. I think it does have more to do... I think it does have more to do with his, uh... With his jealousy and loneliness. Because that's where we start to get, like... We start to get more into Reagan's personal life in this episode. And we start to realize, like, just how lonely and miserable it really is. Like, he doesn't really have any friends. Like, he... He even forgot it was his own birthday, for God's sake. Yeah. Like, and the only person he got a message from was his was his mom. Which, how nice of him, but his mom at the same time was basically, tri- like, the whole point of that message was just to say how much of a letdown of a son he is, pretty much, it seems. Because, it's like, our neighbors, the Kobayashis, are having a, are having a freaking uh, child soon, and here's a, here's a legit business that you can actually work yeah. for now. <laughs> and that's, it's pretty depressing, actually. Like, that whole sequence where he's just in his apartment, just kind of looking on the computer, how it's just dead silent... Except for, like, occasional computer noises and just clicking. That was actually really sad. Yeah, I guess it probably, yeah, it probably was a kind of lashing out a little bit mm-hmm. in, uh, in jealousy that a Mob doesn't, Mob should have all of his time for me because, you know, I'm the one who takes care of him, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and it was, on that note, it was really cool seeing Mob actually stand up for himself. Like, twice this episode. One was over the phone, and, which, fine, I mean... He didn't really do any. It didn't really amount to much in the end. He still ended up going to help out Reagan, but then the second time when 
when Reagan made his stupid freaking outbursts, uh, Mob actually, like, legitimately just tells him to pretty much fuck off. Yeah. Like, and just, like, that kind of sequence where you see, like, him, like, slowly looking up, I was like, okay, that's actually kind of creepy. <laughs> like, yeah, I can see that Mob doesn't really need Reagan yeah. to, to function. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think he probably needed him early on, earlier on, mm. just to kind of help him get off his Get, get on his feet. Yeah. I think that it's... I think that... Act, and it's interesting to note that Mob didn't, like, completely cut ties with Reagan. Like, I think, like, even he acknowledges that. But he like, said, yeah, like, I'm, I'm taking a break. Yeah, exactly. He acknowledges that I'm just not going over to his place for a while. Like, he realized that he can't just blindly listen to everything that uh, Reagan tells him anymore. And that he needs to just start to figure stuff out on his own. It's not... It's actually kind of refreshing to see that he didn't just cut it out like basically like stop seeing him because of like any like legitimate anger or malice or anything like that it was just legitimate self-reflection mm-hmm. and that was pretty cool to see good character growth yeah mob mob is the be- is a good boy like and him and Hank, and him hanging out with ritsu and stuff like that it's like so you just want to play some video games like i'd love <laughs> that it's again these two would just make are just good brothers good wholesome siblings Kind of makes you forget about the whole, like, I'm jealous of my brother and also want psychic power stuff from last season, but... Yeah, they got over that. Yeah, they got over it. So Reagan is now, like, a super popular mm-hmm. psychic. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm not entirely sure, like, how that's gonna pan out, because, like, he decided that... He decided after the bar that he wanted to basically make a change in his life, because he realized that the patrons there, like, he was kind of desperate just reaching at that point mm-hmm. like these people are just willing to like are just willing um to look for me to advice and stuff like that but uh like these are probably the closest thing to friends yeah he's never gonna have an actual conversation with them they just yeah. want they just want to ask him for advice yeah they just want to ask him for advice and at the end of the day like they just want to they don't care about his problems it's kind of one-sided like because like after he says it's my birthday like they don't even really pay much attention to it. Like, some lady just starts talking about this damn pillow that she got. They say, like, congratulations, and then, and then move It's like, on. oh, by the way, this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that convinces him to, like, start taking on, like, all these really, like, cool jobs. And I think one of the best bits was when he freaking, like, killed an online internet ghost, pretty much. He yeah, made he multiple... levels up multiple accounts. And then... And then he proceeded to, and then he proceeded to surround that character with his characters, and then beat the crap out of him. <laughs> and he looked like a freaking zombie after that because he spent like days. Like, so now he's on TV. Yeah, he's on TV, which they're on some like supernatural show, which most of them make sense. Like, you've got Reagan, who is a a psychic in a loose term. Uh, you have the the creepy old dude from uh, last episode or two episodes ago. You have, like, some, like, paranormal scientist sort of guy. But then there's one guest that didn't make sense. Just some random idol chick on a Supernatural show. It's like, what is that? Uh, wasn't she one of the hosts? I don't... I'm pretty sure she was one of the hosts. She might have been, but still, it's bizarre. It's... No, I think she was a guest because, like, the guy who was announced... She might have been because there was an announcer and then maybe those two. But still... It's really weird for an idol to be hosting, like, a Supernatural show, don't you think? Yeah, drum up... Uh, an audience. I I guess. Like, so, so, so the scientist guy is upset at Reagan for kneeing him in the stomach. No, that he, that's not the sci- the, psychic I mean, the, the the psychic guy. Yeah. Uh, even though that 
kneeing him in the stomach saved him from being possessed. Yeah. So I feel like he's kind of being stupid there. Uh, yeah. It's just... He's so, just so he's going to try and ruin Reagan. Yeah, Which exactly. I feel like he's probably going to end up doing. Reagan's going to get knocked down a peg. Mm. Uh, Mob's going to have to go save him, probably. Yeah, maybe. Like, this... I'm interested to see where Reagan goes forward. Like, I don't think that he... Like, again, it kind of reminds you that Reagan isn't a perfect person either. Like, he has his good points, but he's certainly a flawed character. Yeah. Like, I'm... And this has been a a good episode to kind of remind us of that. Next up. Next up is My Roommate is a Cat. Alright. So, the first thing, it was a super adorable moment of just Subaru just getting, like, excited that somebody else checked out a book that he liked. I thought that was just a kind of cute little... Like, a cute little bit with him. Like, just, like, realizing that... It was his way of kind of, like, connecting with people at that time, when he's clearly not good at that kind of thing. Yeah, it was, like, his only way as a kid to... Yeah. To, to interact with people. Yeah, just seeing other people... Just seeing, like, other people sharing the same interests. And I thought that was pretty... I thought that was just a really cute moment. Which, something else... We finally found... So remember last week when we joked, it's like, oh man, what if Roku... What if Roku has turned out to be voiced by Mr. Giraffe? Because he sounds oh, like such yeah. a cool cat. It turned out to just be Mr. Giraffe's voice actor. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember his voice off the top of my head, but... Yeah. I, I love him and everything he does. Yeah, like he's just... He's got such a just a cool sort of just like smooth voice to listen to. Like, it's absolutely a delight to... It's absolutely a delight to listen to. And Roku really is just a cool cat. Just mm. like... He's like he's been around the block a few times. He knows what these he knows what these kids are uh, going through. <laughs> uh, I love how he he tries to play off like, uh, oh this this new guy is here. I'll go up and make sure it's safe. I'll protect you guys. And, and then, he just wanted the first pets. Yeah, he just wanted the first pets. It's like, see, aren't it's like, are you satisfied now that he's not hostile? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we got we got a little more info on Subaru being a writer because uh, Yugo, Nana's younger brother. Which it was revealed pretty early on to be his younger brother. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Like he's yeah. not gonna he's not gonna be a boyfriend or anything. That yeah, that is the 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 romantic interest. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he 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 brings up Subaru's novel, which slowly gets Subaru more and more anxious, more yeah. and more uncomfortable about like because he because he's already like anxious about people reading his stuff. Yeah. Or he's never really... I guess it's something, like, he said towards the end of, like, his bit. Because most of this episode actually focused on Haru, which was yeah. an interesting change of pace. But, like, the first... I want to say third of this episode focused on Subaru and his kind of, like, realizing... It's like, you know, I never really bothered to understand, like, how my works affected other people. Like, and he decided... And he kind of decides from that point forward he wants to try and figure that out. Which mm-hmm. I think is pretty cool. Because yeah. <coughs> well, in the end, he said... yeah. It, <clears throat> made him happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, he, that he knew that any act people were actually reading his work. Yeah, and I thought that was a, and he, it was still kind of awkward. Like he obviously, like I don't think he was entirely ready still to realize that. Like I guess once again, it's sort of a bit of a shock when you're that like shut away from people to realize like, oh crap, my actions actually have an impact on people. Kind of realizing that makes you go, oh, okay, it's time to leave. I need to actually. I need some time to actually process all this, which we get, that kind of comes a little bit to a head at the end of the episode when his, uh, when his editor shows up and gives him like a huge bag of fan mail. And one of them happens to be, one of the letters happens to be from Yugo. Mm -hmm. So, so quick note about this episode. 
it had a most of it was uh, a flashback and I don't have as much of a problem with flashbacks as long as they don't interrupt something. Mm. Yeah. Which is As long as they weave like well into this into the narrative. Yeah, in, in this case it wasn't as big of a deal to me mm-hmm. because it uh yeah, it was pretty much just like that part of the episode was the flashback. It didn't really interrupt anything. Yeah, and it just for one, we find out a little bit, a lot about Haru, how she actually had four other siblings, and they, and two of them just got adopted pretty early on because they just wandered up to a group of people having a picnic, and then we find out that one of the siblings wasn't so lucky. Oh my god, I did not expect to see dead kitten. Yeah, I did not. Ex- I I saw that and I was just thinking of that one scene from The Lion King that everybody loves yeah. so much. Dad, it's time to get up. <laughs> we have to go home. Just, oh god, just the why won't you open your eyes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Which, we actually also got introduced to uh, Haru's really cool mentors, uh, Kudo and uh, Tora. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the super anime looking cats. Exactly. I expected the uh, the cat without the eye to have an eye patch. Yeah, and have like, even have like some freaking like 5 o'clock shadow, yeah. like sort of like freaking snake or big boss or something. Just like, Metal Gear. <laughs> Metal Crow. <laughs> because... It turns out the biggest enemy to cats in this world are crows. Yeah, apparently crows are assholes. They yeah. just kill cats. Yeah, for reasons. But yeah, like I was, like you said, I was not expecting to see dead kittens. Mm-hmm. That was actually pretty sad. So we, it's all but one sibling is accounted for at this point, right? Uh, yes. Or wait, she had four siblings? Uh, yeah, there was herself, the two siblings that got adopted by, uh, the two siblings that got adopted by the, just the random strangers having a picnic, uh, Hachi, which has been uh, oh, yeah. adopted by Nana. Oh, yeah, wait, so they're all accounted for then? Yeah, because they're... two got three got adopted and one died. Yep. So yeah, that's so take that home with you guys. I mean, that's good odds. Yeah, that's that's seventy five percent right there. Yeah, that's a passing grade. Yep, that's that's an above <laughs> passing grade. <laughs> but yeah, this episode, like, we're slowly starting to find out more about like Haru, like and. Basically, it's just Haru's, like, kind of, what does it mean to be family sort of deal? And I think she's slowly starting to figure that part out with Subaru. And he's slowly starting to understand, and Subaru's starting to understand people just by interacting with his cat, ironically Mm -hmm. enough. Just because he has a cat, other people like that he has a cat, and therefore, he has to interact with people more. Yeah, I'm glad they, they didn't forget that. He was a writer, because that was, like, one of my complaints last week. Yeah, exactly. Like, it just, you said it was something that felt like it just kind of went by the wayside, which, yeah, it kind of did for a little while, but I think they just wanted to focus on, like, kind of developing the chemistry between him and Haru first before revisiting that. It was a little bit clumsily handled, but definitely not, like, a show-ender for me. Yeah, for sure. The the show is definitely growing on me more and more. Especially Mm. the opening. I love the opening for the show. Yeah, it's, it's so catchy and so upbeat and just so... Fun. Alright. So next up is Price of Smiles. I it's I wanted to say it is sad to see like the Margrave, like the the guy who had the like who had the kid and wife that he had to send away while he basically stayed behind to like fight off the Empire or whatever. It's sad to just see him so broken, pretty much, because he's serving like as an Imperial lapdog at this point. I don't think he's broken so much as he is biting time. Yeah. I, okay, I guess that's a better... It's still sad to see him in a position like that, I guess. Yeah, he's pretty much a puppet of uh, Grandiga mm-hmm. at yeah. this point. Yeah, 
and yet, although it is actually still pretty inspiring that he still has the ability to like talk back and stuff like that. The it's like are you? It's like you don't want to see any more pointless bloodshed. I think you mean. It's like I think you mean you don't want to see like your forces divided up any further. <laughs> he, he well, he knows that he's definitely in a position where he's too valuable to be you know, yeah. done away with because. The reason they're able to hold on to the capital city so well is because he's still in that position of quote unquote power. Yeah, exactly. So, so the people of Soleil still have that figurehead, yeah, like, exactly. at, the, at the top of the city. And then, like they even say, like Ina is talking with him about, uh, is talking with him about, like I hear there's a resistance somewhere in the south, like, and it's supposedly being headed up by Princess Yuki. Like, which makes me wonder, is that true? Did she become, like, a master tactician while we didn't realize it? Um, we Suddenly Fire Emblem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, suddenly Fire Emblem. And on top of that, it does make me wonder, I, how much time has passed since, like, the last episode? I'd say about a month or two, probably. It's hard to say. Like, it is. It, it is could a, have been a day. It could it, have been a month. I am. I don't imagine. I'm pretty it's probably, sure it's probably more than a day because if they're talking about stuff that's happened in the south, then yeah, it's, it's probably been at least a few days. I'd say, yeah, I'd say at most probably a month because uh, the biggest part of this episode was like, oh, uh, one of our squad mates, Pierce, is getting ready to leave the army because he's being discharged for injury. I imagine he probably spent a month in recovery and he's still paralyzed, but he's been officially discharged, which either, is either paralyzed or very wounded. Yeah, exactly. By the way, he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, he's in a wheelchair, and most of this... Well, ep- was in a wheelchair. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's... And then we finally meet the, the Emperor, because I thought that the... I thought that I'm a fleet was like the head of the... Was like the head of the Empire. No, no. I think makes, she's just a general. I Yeah, she's the chief of staff, which makes me wonder if she's going to do a power play later, because... Because we finally meet the Emperor and what his goal is, and we're kind of wondering, uh, like, his quote was, when your crest represents no tradition, no bloodline, the only way it can command loyalty is with power. It makes me wonder, like, I'm just curious about the Emperor now, because we finally get introduced to him. It seems like he was, he was like a, a not a noble. Mm-hmm. He was just like a common man that rose to his station. Yeah. Uh, via power. Yeah, exactly. So now he's afraid that if he doesn't like he's because I know is that her name? Yeah, um, uh, she's she's af- afraid that sending in a bunch of troops is with the with the shitty uh, sewer gears is just going to end up having them. No, die. they they're the ma- yeah they're they're the mass produced crars which are supposed crars, to be yeah. yeah they're supposed to be like a high power but they're also supposed to be incredibly unstable. Yeah, so she's worried about troops dying, but he's think the vampire's thinking that well if I don't keep sending people in the night then people are going to question me. And yeah, exactly. He's basically, like, I I don't want to believe the Emperor is a terrible person, but at the same time, he's definitely, like, someone who's, has probably had to be pretty cold-hearted at this point. And I, like, the biggest, like, the meat of this episode was mainly just, like, introducing us to, or, uh, basically everybody's getting ready to say goodbye to Pierce. Had yeah. a pretty funny moment when, uh, it's like, these are, these are a delicacy back in my hometown, <laughs> the Bugsy Beans. Yeah, there is there is a bit of slice of life comedy in this episode. I don't think they they do it as well as uh, let's say like Golden Kamui. Yeah, uh, they there's a there because there's a good way to switch between comedy and, and tragedy mm-hmm. or, or action, uh, and it just doesn't feel as organic to me uh, in this series. 
Yeah. Like, because, and I can kind of see that, because, like, while everybody's sort of, like, laughing and having a good time, which I thought the banter between the squad mates was pretty good, but then he decides to, out of nowhere, just drop this bomb about how he was a freaking burden to his family. Just like, okay, it's like, way to kill the mood. You could have reserved, you could have reserved this when we were just talking by yourself or something. And it's like, oh, by the way, you want to, it's like, you want to work at the orphanage that I run, which, again... This was that was something that uh, we kind of called earlier. Yeah, well, I I wasn't sure on the orphanage. I like, I figured he had kids somehow. Mm-hmm. Like I figured it was some. It had to be something like mm-hmm. that, like war orphans. Which because why else would he be looking so like looking out so much for the war orphans a few episodes ago? Yeah, I, I like Gale. He's probably one of my favorite characters in the show. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting seeing a general that or not a general, an officer Commander, yeah. that one that runs an orphanage. Also, I like how we. How he called out Stella on her bullshit. Yeah, he indirectly kind of tells her, stop smiling, yeah. all fake. Yeah, like he, like, and that, it basically got her to, like, completely, ch- like, kind of question, like, what she's been doing, which I think was really cool of him to do. Like, it's sort of like a step, in the step in the right direction for her, because we find out a little bit more about Stella, by the way. I think, I'm kind of torn on that whole segment, because on one hand, I felt like they showed us just enough to understand why she was the way she was. On the other hand, I still feel it was like a little bit clumsily handled. It was forced narrative, definitely. Like, yeah, it was an, an info dump of like, oh, here's why she's sad. Mm. Like again, I understand it. Like, and I, I think that's a totally fair. But at the same time, at the same time, it feels a little bit, a little bit hard to like sympathize when you see like the. Like, her adoptive parents go from, like, happy and caring, like, one minute, and then, like, immediately, like, not, like, ten seconds later, seeing them be all cold and cruel towards her. That's not how I saw it. I I definitely, I I agree with the reasoning why she's upset. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, like, her parents, the reason, the parents were all happy with uh, their actual child. Once they, well, kind of, once they started realizing they didn't have enough money, like, uh. To feed yeah. both of them. They... It was like a little bit of a flash forward in the flashback. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I agree with the reasoning of her being sad. I just don't like how it was delivered um, via mm. the, the narrative. Yeah, it felt a little... Like, it would have been... They, I think they should have spent a little bit of time on that and a little bit less time exploring the palace. I felt like that was just kind of padding. Yeah, like, Like, I mean... And I think, like, the overall, like, the overall, like, ideas behind it, like, trying to figure out about the sunflowers in the palace and stuff like that, that was all cool. I like that. Like, I like how the sunflowers serve as a metaphor and stuff like that in this. Because, you know what sunflowers mean in the language of flowers, right? No. It's friendship. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so between, like, Yuki and and, Stella? Yeah, eventually. So, it's... So, there is an interesting connection, although I think they could have handled it a little bit differently, like... Maybe maybe Lily and Stella didn't go with Pierce to the king, like to the uh, to the royal throne room and stuff, like in this episode. But after he dies, spoiler warning, he <laughs> dies. Like they kind of regret not fulfilling his last request or something like that, so they go there themselves. Like it could have given us a little bit of time and a little bit of spacing between, like her considering what the cap, what the commander told her, like about how plants that don't root. It's not the plants that won't root, it's the people around them that help them root. Like, giving it a little bit of time, and her finally kind of reflecting and saying that to Lily, rather than, here's here's the commander giving some helpful advice and insight, 
And here's Stella repeating that in the same episode. It felt a little bit... They felt like they just kind of crammed a few plot points in this episode. Yeah, I didn't really feel Pierce's death at all. Yeah. It just... Like, it didn't really mean anything to me. Uh, uh, part of it was just like... I saw the transport going away and him talking about how he can't wait how he can't wait to get home. I'm like, he's going to die. He's yeah. going to get shot. I mean, it would have been... Like, it would have been one thing, like... And also, just the fact that they showed, like, the transport getting shot. It would have been another thing if, like, he'd been sort of killed off screen, I think, even. Like, because... Because, again, in war situations like this, things happen... Like, bad things happen all the time, more often than not, without you being there. Yeah, I think I honestly would have felt his death more if they didn't show it. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, by the way, yeah, his convoy got shot. Mm -hmm. Which, I want to point out something about that really quick. It makes me wonder if uh, Soleil knew, like, the, was a... Uh, I doubt, like, they... I doubt that the Soleil Kingdom knew about uh, it being, like, a wounded people's transport. Like, because I doubt they would have fired if they knew that. Or they might have. Like, Maybe. it could have just been some asshole in command of that. Yeah, like, I... It very well could have been. But, of course, that's going to be, like, major, like, a fuel for the fire against, oh, we absolutely have to crush them now because they shot a bunch of uh, yeah. wounded... Wounded people who are no longer even soldiers. So this episode was a bit of a stumble, I think. I, I'm a little worried that they're not... So, so the the opening definitely like focuses on Yuki and Stella getting together. Yeah. And there's only five more episodes left, so I'm worried that they're going to be able to wrap up the story in these five episodes. Yeah. In a, in a good way. Yeah. Like, I think... Like, overall, like, I've enjoyed this series, and I haven't... It's definitely by no means perfect, and this episode was, I agree, certainly more of a stumble than the past, but overall, like, I like a lot of the... I like a lot of the character interactions. I like the fact that Huey was the one to actually, like, uh... Like, when Stella finally stopped smiling and was getting ready to punch him, he basically mocks her, like, and saying, this is what you do all the time, so do you really have any right to criticize me for it? Mm -hmm. Like, again... I think that was I think that was kind of cool. I'm I'm interested to see where all these characters go from this point on. Like I'm wanting to see this series do well. I'm kind of a little worried though. Yeah, agreed. Like this was a little bit of a stumble. I hope it's not too much to shoot the story completely like Darling and the Franks. <laughs> <laughs> so next up is the Promised Neverland. It turns out it was just Phil the entire time. You were I... expecting Mama, but it was Phil. <laughs> Like, I I called it. I knew it was going to be a fake-out. <laughs> I fucking knew it was going to be a fake-out. Because this series does a really good job of making you feel on edge and tense the whole time. But then I think it also is able to kind of parse it out just enough to where it's just close calls. But then Dawn and Gilda find out the truth. In, yep. one, of the, in one of the most tense scenes, I think... This series has gone in so far. This is like first episode, like levels of tense when they're just hiding under the car. Like the, just when they're hiding in the basement, just trying not to make any noise or anything like that. That was just, oh God, you, you're just hoping they do not get caught. Mm -hmm. Like you do not want. And then when they accidentally make a noise in that secret room. But, uh, Emma saves the day. It was, it was Emma, right? No, it wasn't Emma. Or was it? Phil. It was no, it was Eugene, a little another little kid. Okay, there. Yeah. Like because she's getting ready to open the she's getting ready to open the secret room, and then and then Eugene kind of just walks in and says, yeah. "I by the way, I found this," and it was the key. She, which by the way, 
really clever from Don when he just is like looking down the hallway and then he just runs at her and then he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in a hurry. Yeah, it, it was, was in that pretty, moment when he took the key. Pretty good pickpocket. Yeah. Uh, just, and I guess at some point off screen, Don like put the key on the ground somewhere. Yeah, exactly. For a kid to. Because up. Gilda had already said something to the effect of, We've already returned the key. Yeah. Which. Which I want to point out, it's something that did strike me as a little bit odd. So, in that little secret room of Mama's, she's got, like, all these toys that she snatched away from the children. Like, the big one being Connie's little bunny. It makes me wonder, why is she keeping so many trophies? Like, Yeah, yeah that's exactly what I call them, trophies. Yeah. Well, it's either, it's one of two things. It's either trophies or memories. Because, yeah. honestly, she seems like she's genuinely caring for the kids while she's raising them. Yeah, I mean... Like, it seems like a little bit more than a facade. I I agree. It's, it is interesting. Like, she wants to give these kids... I think that she wants to give these kids the best life that she can while they're still alive. Yeah, it's, it's probably like a farmer. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a farmer... At least a good one. Yeah. They want to raise their cows in a happy environment and mm-hmm. give them a nice life. And a lot of farmers will be friendly with their livestock. Yeah, because they want them to grow. Because they want them to grow up healthy. And I think that for a lot of them, like I think that even she, like a lot of farmers, like oh, don't get attached to your livestock. I think that on some level, though, she is still attached to them. Yeah. Because because I was thinking about the whole trophies thing, and it's like it's not like she's. It's not like any of these kids were particularly gifted or anything, like saying, oh, look at this, these are the fruits of my labor and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, she's not, like, proud Yeah. about, like, killing them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I don't... It's just... It's interesting. Mama is very difficult to read. She's spooky as all hell, but... I think she's also a an outlier in terms of uh, Mama's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because we've seen that she doesn't really operate under... The same rules. Yeah, because, like, she she's in trouble... Mm-hmm. Uh, because the kids are going to escape. She doesn't try to, like, you know, just immediately kill all the kids or whatever. She wants to keep doing things her way. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if that means maybe getting caught in the process. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's exactly what Crone wants. Yeah. Which, I, this whole episode, like, after, like, Dawn finally, like, freaks out and, like, just punches Norman in the face. I want to point out, like, before he does that, like, because Norman was the one to tell them. The expressions, just like the like the close-up on their eyes, and like how wide and absolutely terrified they were. For one, that was really well handled. But then when it cuts back to Norman, you see like these dark circles under his eyes. Like it was absolutely harrowing for him to tell the truth. And then Don punches him in the face. <laughs> and then punches Ray in the face, too. Yeah, which, uh, they deserved it. I mean, they did. They absolutely did. He was about to punch Emma in the face. And this... This ser- this episode though, I was like on I was on edge. I was thinking like, oh my god, it's like these camera angles. I do not trust these camera angles. They give me the impression that someone's watching them. Yeah, I think by the end of this series, I'm gonna be off the chair. Yeah, because like I'm slowly getting more and more on the edge of the chair. Yeah, and eventually the chair is gonna be in the other room. Yeah, and I'm gonna be in a sitting position in front of the TV. <laughs> yeah, this. Uh... Like, I cannot believe, like, and I was eventually, it was like, okay, these camera angles, they're just really giving me the impression. It's like, why is somebody looking through a window? Like, why are we focusing on this window? It's just like this. It's like, I was just, like, nervous. I'm like, is somebody watching them? Is somebody watching them? Like, were there more than one? Is there more than one person watching them? It just got me freaking paranoid. And at the end, I turned out to be right. Because freaking, the in one of the most unsettling, (laughs) like, reveals ever, Crone reveals... 
that she knows everything. Yeah. Which I don't know if they're gonna deny it or yeah. or actually because he's like, I'll help you if you like, let's join you. forces. Yeah, which I don't trust her. I I don't trust Crone either. Like at the same time, like I'm just like I'm worried. Just like. Like, just like that little bit where they're just walking through the forest, and then, like, as soon as they pass that tree, and you see, like, the, uh, and you see, like, her, her outfit, you're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> just, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> So I think the scene I'm most excited for to come up is, I can't wait to see the moment, if they do escape, I can't wait to see the moment they escape, and the, the conflict that's gonna happen between... Ray, Norman, and Emma about leaving everyone behind. Mm-hmm. Because Emma's not going to let that happen. I doubt Norma's going to, or Norman's going to go against Emma's wishes. Mm-hmm. But So I think if this is going to be, they're, they're going to try and slowly convince Ray to hopefully get, to take more people along. I think, I think Ray is prepared to die, actually. You think he's going to die to save everybody? I think so. Like, I, because, for one thing, like, no, when Norman was just kind of looking around under his bed, like, was looking around under his bed, like, uh, like, and he sees, like, all these, like, different things. We don't know what he saw yet, for one thing, but he's just, like, all this stuff that, for us, huh? You really are amazing. But then, just, like, the conversation with Mama, like, the whole, for one, he's feeding her fake information, like, it's like, oh, by the way, Norman's planning to kill you, which I'm pretty sure that isn't a thing that's been established yet. Like, yeah, he, it is. They're they're because he's like Norman's gathering like the oh yeah no the fa- all the poisons and stuff. Yeah, and he's he's taking them away from the kitchen. Mm-hmm. To, the, the, the 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 he's gonna kill you plan is a it's distraction. A yeah. yeah, so they they're all they're all in no. I know that. it's not so it is just bait. It's just yeah, a fake plan exactly, and it's they're going to replace it with something else. It mm-hmm. makes me wonder like what exactly that is about. Also, like probably the biggest revelation this episode. The guy who wrote all the books, like, I don't remember his name right at the top of my head. Oh, uh, William Minerva. Yes, William Minerva. Like, for one, really clever of Emma to be the one to figure all the, to figure out that it was all Morse code there. Like, they even point that out, like, that it's surprising that Ray didn't pick up on that when he's the one always reading. I think they just wanted to give Emma some spotlight and actually show <laughs> that she's actually also really, really smart. She's smart. She's, she is. Kind of, she's kind of an airhead. Yeah, she is. <laughs> like, I agree with that. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's like this was definitely Emma's moment to shine. Like Yeah, so this the whole Morse code thing made me double think or like think about what the title actually means. Yeah. Because originally I heard the title The Promised Neverland and I thought the word promised would be like the definition as in promised as in like a nice place. Mm-hmm. Like there's promise in this mm-hmm. place. But there was it turned it turned out the word promise showed up in the Morse code in the books. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that the Promised Neverland is maybe uh, William Minerva is outside and he set up this area for people to go to. And it's like, I promise that this place will be here for you. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Like, and at the same time, like, think about what Neverland is supposed to be like. Because I'm pretty sure that the whole, like, idea of Neverland refers to Peter Pan's Neverland. Yeah, like a fantastical place. Yeah, a fantastical place where you won't grow up and stuff like that. Yeah. Or, or you'll, you'll always be happy and yeah. it'll be fantastic. But I'm, like, I'm scared for these kids. Like, I don't, like, the thing that made me think that uh, Ray is probably setting himself up to die, like, is, 
like his like his words in that conversation with Mama, like the oh, so the next shipment isn't going to be coming out until January, my twelfth birthday, huh? So I'm finally going to be it's going to be finally my turn to be shipped out. It almost makes me think that he's been wanting to die probably for a long time, and he's probably getting ready to sacrifice himself. Because no, no, no. the thing is, I think that. I don't think that Ray ever mentioned anything about himself escaping. His big concern has always been Norman and Emma, it seems. Because he always says, you two. Like, I think that... So, it's not so much the three of them anymore. It's you two. Like, as in, I'm probably not going to be the one to escape here. Like, I don't plan on it. Only time will tell. I'm fascinated. I really want to see where this goes. So... Next up, the quintessential quintuplets. Now, we finally got introduced to steaks in this series. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are finally steaks. Mm, delicious steaks. <laughs> but uh, the steaks in this in this series now are... So I heard midterms are coming up. <laughs> it's like, if any of them fails their next exam, then I'm going to have to fire you. I got Uisugi's, Uisugi's first response is to call uh, their dad father. Yeah, it's just like, there's... And then and then it's hilarious. The dad on the phone's like, there's no reason for you to call me father. And then Itsuki's response is, there's no reason for you to call him father. <laughs> so, yeah, foreshadowing, he's going to be marrying one of them. Yeah, exactly. It's I think that's pretty funny. This series does a pretty good job of, like, subverting a lot of expectations with harem tropes, I think. Maybe because... There was that bit, if you remember, when they were saying, let's all go get parfaits. And you think that when it's like, hey, if you don't join us, we're going to leave you behind. You see him smile. And usually that's a sign like, okay, he's going to go get parfaits. <laughs> but then when it cuts, he's just walking home, he getting ready to study. study. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's And then and then Itsuki runs up and is all like, You're su- you were supposed to go with them. <laughs> the tropes denote that you should have to go with them. Exactly. I, again, I think the show does a really good job of like, of knowing what the tropes in Harem are, but also finding ways to cleverly play with them. Again, I did not give this show enough credit when I first read yeah. its uh, when I first read its description. So uh, we we get a little more information on Ichika uh, this episode. How she? Well, we got more last episode. How she did the whole movie thing, but she yeah. she told all her sisters about it, and they all they were like, "Oh, that's awesome! Give us an autograph." Yeah, exactly. They were uh, they were willing to support her, but she's. She's like, every mo. it seems like every chance she gets, she's kind of shoving Miku onto yeah, uh, Uisugi. Yeah, she, she is like the ultimate wingman. Yeah. Like, I think she's, I think she just wants, uh, like, I think that A, she wants to Miku to be happy, because she, like, I think it's as clear as day to her that Miku has a crush on him. Like, not that he's ever going to realize that. Or, as he's put it, he has no interest in dating, so I don't think he wants to notice. But yeah, Ichika just wants just wants Miku to be happy, like always trying to push them close together and stuff like that. Basically, getting him to stay overnight. Mm-hmm. It's like, and then her saying like, "While he's here, you might as well make a move on him now." <laughs> <laughs> I liked when they were on the balcony. Uh, Uisugi realizes how hard that Ichika is trying because mm-hmm. he. Uh, yeah. And he like pats her head, and she gets all embarrassed. And, and then it's just like, the let's go, ba- let's get inside. It's cold. It's cold. Like it certainly doesn't feel cold. <laughs> Nino, Nino, you bitch. <laughs> Being the freaking main antagonist in this show. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, oh yeah, I want to point out like 
I like, I said before, it's really cool that Futuro has, like, actually a personality and stuff like that, and he's not just a blank piece of cardboard or always really a nice person, because, like, that scene when he's basically telling Itsuki just to uh, shut up and do what he says, I'm like, oh, shit, that that wasn't the right thing to say at all. It's just like, oh, God, that's that's gonna be... He he panics, because he's like, that's... That's his job. That's how he's going to end up paying back all the debt he has to pay. Exactly. So he, he showed he showed flaws, mm. as a person do. Yeah, well, again, it's actually nice to see a character in this kind of series actually have a personality. That being said, we, we can't get away from all of the tropes. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, this wouldn't be a harem show, mm-hmm. uh, where Miku wakes up, has to go to the bathroom, and she's like, by habit. She she, she goes back, back into her room, yeah, into her bedroom, and and then where he's the, sleeping. There's the whole moment of like, what's happening? Why is there a girl in my bed, even though I'm in her bed? Yeah, and it's actually hilarious. He's like, huh? So this is what they call a bed, huh? Oh, yeah, <laughs> because since yeah, he's, it's so fucking poor. Yeah, since he's poor, they probably just sleep on the floor or on futons. Or oh, some Lord, shit. this bed is so nice. It has blankets and everything. <laughs> um. And it's actually a little cool detail. Like, I don't know if you noticed a little uh, thing about their doors. Yeah, you were telling me about that. How yeah, they, how each of how each of the doors have like their have like stripes that correspond to their number. Like, Ichika has one door, Nino has two. I mean, two stripes, and it just keeps going on. The other the other interesting thing when uh, when Nino finally finds out about what the uh, about what Futuro uh, is <laughs> hiding. I was not entirely sure, like, how they were going to pull it off, because, like, when you hear, like, uh, when you hear Itsuki at the door talking, I kind of, like, watching it again, I was like, okay, hi, totally not Nino, but then I listened to it, it's like, well, if you listen carefully, it's actually, like, the, uh, the sound is sort of distorted because of the glass on the other side, so I could understand, and since they're all quintuplets, they have similar voices, I could Mm -hmm. see how you'd mistake one for another. I actually thought that was a clever little detail. Yeah, she's uh, she's pretty clever. Yeah. And, oh my god, when she when she shows herself, the fucking smug levels are off the charts. I know, right? And I love how um, how when he goes back to the study group with everybody, like, and he's making a big show about it, to basically <laughs> saying it's like, okay, you might not try, you are not going to necessarily, you're going to try not to study, and you're just going to make a show out of it. So I'm going to make, so I'm going to make you listen to me. Fucking force the information into a exactly. Brain. Like she. May not, this is the thing. This is everyone de- study. This is about this topic. Debate. <laughs> Debate. <laughs> Which, I will say that he actually, like, the uh, Japanese voice actor, props to actually saying it clearly. Like, it still sounded like, it's like, okay, clearly it's an accent. Kind of very sensual. Yeah, just debate. <laughs> but the whole, uh, the whole, like, oh my god, there's a girl in this bed now with me. Just, we're gonna see how that resolves next episode. And how it resolves. It's gonna resolve probably like most other, well, I don't know, this show's been subverting my expectations a lot, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah. The uh, next up is the rising of the shield hero. All I have to say is ravioli, ravioli, do not loot the chicken molly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this uh, this episode was an interesting filler esque. Yeah, episode. like no, th- it totally was a filler episode because it, like the whole because think about the whole point of this episode. It was just to try and get Philo a dress. To... Yeah, well, I, I would not, I would not call it entirely a filler episode mm-hmm. because there was a lot of important things that happened, like. uh... 
He got the deed to the mine. Yeah, he got the deed to the mine. He, he got like an in with the with the traders organization. Yeah, he he ended up helping another guy. It, it's gotten to the point where they call him like our winged savior, something like or that. Something like that. Um, he robbed a group of bandits in probably one of the most clever ways ever. Like, cause he, really, I like, I don't know if rob is the right word. I like to say liberated stolen goods. He robbed them. <laughs> he, he robbed from the robbers because, and it was hilarious because, uh, because he realized right from the get go, it's like, okay, when you say you're going to let us leave with our lives, that means you're going to take everything but our lives. Right. And then that's exactly what he does when he's like, well, uh-huh. Because it's like, oh, we were just attacked by the shield hero. And he's like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to kill you then. <laughs> like, I have to look out for my best interests after yeah, all. Yeah, I mean, showing off his character. Yeah, just, like, again, I think it's I think it's absolutely wonderful that he's not your typical isekai protagonist. Like, he is kind of an asshole. He's just somebody who's just kind of jaded and cynical. And also... Raptalia got totally daughters. Oh my god, so hard. Yeah, it's like, it's like, am I? It's like, am, are you? Are you my father, master? No, you're my property. And what about? And little subtle detail, like I'm sure you noticed this when, uh, when the dress lady like had told called him father. You see, like Raptalia get like super like blushy and stuff like that. Like she was thinking, oh my god, that probably she probably thinks that me and now Fumi are married, mm-hmm. and then the whole fucking oh, daughter zone. Yeah, it's like now nah, you're just. It's like I see her more like my daughter. <laughs> it's like I'm not your daughter. Absolutely savage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I again, I think it's. I think it's a nice uh, a nice thing though that he doesn't see her as a romantic interest. Like, uh, uh, maybe I, I don't. I don't. I hope it doesn't go that route. I really don't. I really don't want it to. Why? Well, because mainly just because of the whole like the nature of their of their nature of their relationship. She's his slave. I think that's already. I think that's already a kind of just a major red flag, and it's not. As I've said before, their relationship isn't necessarily most healthy there's also the fact that she's uh six yeah <laughs> yeah that that too wait is she only six uh, she's really young that's all i know yeah that's you know technically i mean yeah. like, officer she has the body of a full-grown woman <laughs> it's fine yeah i mean all right that's again that's absolutely fair but uh i think that the really cool thing about this uh about this series is the fact that now Fumi goes to like just such great lengths to actually like improve his reputation. Like, and just like the, the, it's almost like, I guess it's, it's not necessarily a revenge story, but I kind of would call it a little bit of one. It's gives me very much like a Count of Monte Cristo vibes. I don't know if you ever watched a uh, gun Kutsuo or read Count of Monte Cristo or seen any of the movies, but it's very much like him just trying to get back at the world, pretty much. So it's a revenge... I guess it's almost like a revenge story on a much grander scale. Like, he's trying to get revenge on the world itself. In yeah. a in a not, like, I'm gonna kill everybody, like, sort of way. Just, like, I'm gonna prove them absolutely wrong. They were wrong about me. Yeah, it's not so much revenge as it is. It's just proving people wrong. Yeah, exactly. A, a, he's really smart about trading, because... When you when he goes to help the guy who needs to bring medicine to his mom, he doesn't do it for free. Yeah. Uh, because when you do something for free, everyone considers it charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the end, if you do something 
where you the other where you get something out of the deal as well. It makes the other group feel better because it's like, well, he I, I didn't just do that for charity. We had an equal exchange. Yeah, it's like and like because even the guy was worried about like I spent the last of my money to buy this medicine. It's just like okay, well don't it's like don't worry about that. I'll just uh, it's like you can pay me in goods. Just don't try to weasel your way out of it. Mm-hmm. But then. And so he kind of put his mind at ease a little bit. And then when uh, he's like, you go boil some water, I'll give your mom the medicine. It's just like, don't worry, I'm not going to charge you anything more for it. Like, they all, I think that was pretty cool that he'd already kind of honored his agreement. Like, that he'd already set in yeah, place. He's, he's making himself into a, uh, like, a person on the same level as everyone else. Instead yeah. of, like, this, like, deity hero that exactly. shows up and does everything for everybody. Kind of grows more of a personal mm-hmm. uh, interaction between them. Yeah, he's he's definitely more in tune with the common people or the middle class. He's not like some deity. But the uh, yeah, the actual like dungeon part of this episode was uh, it was pretty filler, like generic. Like, yeah, we're in a dungeon. Oh, there's some bad things, and they're saying bad things about us. Uh, dispel illusion. Yeah, dispel illusion. And then although they did kind of hint at something potentially bad in the future, like. They were because he heard about all the rumors that all, what all the other heroes were doing, and Motiyasu went to like, oh, yeah. the starving village and gave them some miracle crop. Yeah, I'm almost positive at this point the miracle crop was the seed from the chest, which is supposed like... to be cursed and some twisted reflection of their wish that nobody will ever starve. Yeah, so so that's probably going to be a a point later on. But they they got the gemstone and then made the outfit, and Aphila looks like I don't know. There's like there's like this angel girl in like this guy of three. I think so, yeah. Uh, I don't know her but name. Yeah, she's adorable. She looks like a little angel. Yeah. Which, again, even the shop owner basically says that was the whole point. Yeah. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to like, draw on her angelic charm as much as possible. I like how the shop owner's parents just like a, a clothing otaku. Yeah, a clothing otaku and yeah, prob- probably a little bit of a lolicon. Yeah. <laughs> but once again, as uh, as I said about Watanen uh-huh. and uh, Uzumade... It's and, fine as long as they're the same gender. And yeah, and and to an ex- and to another extent, happy sugar life. Oh uh, yeah. Yep. Sure, yeah. <laughs> All right. So last up on our list is Run with the Winds. All right. This episode was mainly just an angsty one. Like yeah. the the twins are well they're they're concerned but they're concerned in a very reasonable man- like, manner. They feel like they were tricked. Like yeah. because and I think that uh I think ultimately this series is just about, as I've said before, this series I think is going to be more about the journey, not so much the destination. Because it's the journey of how they got to the Hakone Akiden, how they were how they were actually able to run it in the first place. And they're pretty blessed to actually do that. Which, even, like, even Prince said that. Prince of all people. Yeah. The person who was, like, most against it. Like, and he's yeah. like, we worked so hard to get to this point. Like, yeah, and he's saying it would it would be a disservice to everyone else mm-hmm. that wants to do it. Exactly. If they didn't try hard and just do it anyways. Yeah, I, like, I'm actually impressed with how far Prince has come. Not just as a runner, but as just a person. Topic of every week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. Well, all the characters have grown, but yeah. he's definitely the character that has grown the most, I think. He's, I wouldn't say he's I like, don't know. Either him or Kakadu. I yeah, that's true. Because Kakadu's grown just in a different way. Exactly. Uh, um, speaking of which, like my favorite scene in this episode probably was uh, the, the twins kind of kicking around the ball in the field, and you just hear Kakadu run up like, "Hey, Jota! <laughs> who crashes a soccer game?" 
And he just fucking chases after him, smiling. Yeah. It's like... Because like, they're not getting away. Yeah, just like... <laughs> he's running at it while smiling. It's like, he's one of the best in the country. Just... It's like, there's no way we're going to outrun him. Well, you haven't tried. Just run. <laughs> and the whole time... Like, a lot of this episode, I think, was just an excuse to, like, show off a production IG's, like, a scenery animation. Oh, yeah. So good. Like... Just some of the shots of the water, like the brief, and I mean very brief, like shots of the water are just so gorgeous. Like, again, I think it was just production IG just flexing their uh, environmental um, artist muscles. And, and then we get to see a little bit of Sakaki being Sakaki. He's kind of a douche still. They did a good job of showing off the team's growth, though, because he came up and taunted everybody and, like, nobody responded to yeah. it at this point. Because before everyone got all pissed or. Mm-hmm. Or Kakaru almost threw hands. Yeah, exactly. I think that uh, I think that it's that was really cool. Like, I mean, Sakaki did bring up some interesting points, though, because he's like, "What's really, what's really the point in running when I'm trying to get up against the seeded teams when most of your strongest runners are going to either be gone next, are going to be gone next year? So it's not really going to matter." He's basically trying to say that. He's basically of the opinion that the the destination is the only thing that really matters here. And meanwhile, Haiji yeah. is trying to figure out like what exactly what exactly the the journey is all about. Like, and he tells the twins that, and it was like, uh, and he basically said something to the effect of, uh, "I understand that you're I understand that you're frustrated. I don't entirely know the answer either, but I want you guys, but I want you guys to just join me on this." Yeah, much. just trying to convince them that he. He doesn't necess- He wasn't. He wasn't trying to trick them. Mm-hmm. Is, what, is what he told them. He, he's he's just doing this all this whole thing to find out the answer to his question. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was a little scene with uh, Hana, which is super adorable. Actually, uh, Hana actually cheering the twins back up. Yeah, but like near the end of that, when they started talking about like, oh yeah, Hana's adorable. She's helping us through all this yeah, stuff. Like uh, she, she started like, crying. A yeah, little she bit. started to. Yeah, she kind of started to realize just how much she's actually contributed. Like, I don't think that's it. I think it's sadness. You think so? Yeah, I think she's upset about something because mm. that was not like a happy cry face. She was like looking down at the ground and not smiling at all. Yeah, that's true. And then we've got something that we've been dreading for a while. Um, Hygie's going in for surgery, it seems. Well, I don't know if it's surgery. But he's, he definitely went into the doctor's office. It said orthopedic surgery wing. Oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I feel like... So the, he could be getting his leg checked out again, but... I feel like the main thing is that he's going to be told not to run. I do you think that... I've actually had an idea about that. Do you think that he's actually not going to be able to run, and then Fujioka is going to actually step in and and help them? Uh oh yeah, well yeah, because that could be a thing because Fujioka did show up. Yeah, towards the end, the end of the episode. episode. Yeah, exactly, and like, and I think Kaku- well, Fujioka is isn't he on his own team? I, yeah, he is, but yeah. I, I don't know. Like, like as a that was another thing that Sakaki had pointed out. Like, if even just one of you is not able to is not able to, mm-hmm. like, run the race, then it's gonna be for absolutely nothing. Yeah, I... I don't... I think that hi, the main conflict is probably gonna be Haiji being told he shouldn't run, uh, and he's gonna run anyways. Yeah. Because, like, this, he, this is so important to him, it might even, like, damage his ability to run at all in the future if he does yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, it's just... It might be a situation... Like, I was thinking that if he is, if he can't run and somebody else has to do it for him, I think it's still, he would be able to look back on and say, like, 
how hard he tried and how much uh, how much that journey meant to him as a person. Like, and how much ultimately, and how much ultimately, like, he helped everyone else that was involved in that race. So I think that he might find his answer through that, if that's the route they decide to go. I don't know what route they're going to go here, because it could be possible that Haiju's not going to be able to run. He might be able to, though, so we'll see, won't we? Yeah, there's like five more episodes, and I doubt the I doubt the, all the episodes are going to be the race. It's hmm. probably going to be some aftermath, et cetera, exactly. et cetera. So that's going to do it for week seven, uh, winter 2019. We're getting closer to the the end of the season. Yep. We uh, have, uh, we've got six, we've got five, six episodes for most series. So. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be probably within like the next few weeks, we're going to be putting out our preview. Mm-hmm. That's going to be spring. Right? Yes, yeah, spring, spring, spring 2019. 2019. So excited to see all that new stuff. Uh, we are going, and we are also currently still working on our uh, review of Sirius the Jaeger. Like we are still working out the script and stuff like that. We're going to be getting back. We're going to be getting back to work on that here pretty soon. Hopefully, that'll be out in a month or so. Yeah, I think I think we're uh, planning on releasing that around like some, sometime next month. Yep. Yeah. So look forward to that. Like. We had a lot of fun watching that show. We hope that you guys are going to tune in for that. I I am looking forward to talking about it. Uh-huh. So we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everyone. Take care of yourselves.